0: Let's use our Auburn Bank phone line right now to welcome on a good guest, a friend of the program. It's Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. Honored to welcome in here to Auburn and join us on the show today. Connor, we appreciate the time. How are things going for you and your world?
1: Hey, everything's good. You know, I feel like just another ho-hum May in the SEC. We don't really have any coaches talking uh, really very much. It's just kind of one of these strange times of year in which you... You wish there was more going on, and there's just really not. It's kind of a shame.
0: <laughs> I know, yes, absolutely. I mean, here we are, and we're looking at the calendar, and, and folks are supposedly telling us that we're 100 days away from week one of the college football season, and you're looking around thinking, well, there haven't been enough headlines for that to be the case. <laughs> so, so all joking aside, it really is kind of chaotic that we're 100 days away, Connor, and the season's going to be here before we know it.
1: It's crazy to think about all that's happened in the last week and how that could set up for the rest of the year in college football, with obviously Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher going back and forth the way that they have. But what does the future of NIL look like? Are we going to have this new, this new uh, sort of uh, governing agency potentially down the road? Is, is the FBS going to break away from the NCAA and get somebody else to enforce these rules? What's the future of the sport look like? I think all of these, these things are in play right now.
0: Which of those topics piques your interest the most?
1: Uh, you know, I mean, in the short term, Saban and, and Jimbo is fascinating. Just because, like, what I've been saying about this is Jimbo is one of the very few people on planet Earth that could actually stand up there and say what he said to Nick Saban. And I'm not even sure, like, outside of Kirby, who could really say that? Who could really respond to Nick Saban in that way? Because even if Dabo Sweeney was called out by Nick Saban. Dabo can't come back to Nick Saban and tell him, Hey, I, I've been on your staff essentially. I, I know what's under the hood and you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to to tell me that, that I'm doing things wrong when I know the way that you operated. You know, Dabo had a chance to work for Nick Saban back in two thousand seven when he tried to hire him as his wide receivers coach and Dabo, you know, kind of famously turned him down and stuck it out of Clemson, which worked out well for him, but you know, It's just kind of interesting to think of this this dynamic at play now with two guys who have national championship rings who clearly are at odds about the current structure of the sport and the way that NIL impacts recruiting and to see this play out now on the field this year is just going to be incredible. It was, it was a great game last year, of course, and you know, We can only hope that we get a, a similar down-to-the-wire type result this year.
0: And here we were. That was a week ago. And a week ago on Thursday, Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, kind of reprimands both coaches, says, no, 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 not so fast. Let's have respect for one another, yada, yada, yada. All of this, as you're saying and alluding to, and we all well know, is about name, image, and likeness. And here we are about a year or so. We finished the first academic year that the name image and likeness platform was in play in effect and and we're hearing more about the future of collectives and that sort of thing i mean truly it's a big question to ask you and, and try to prognosticate on this but what is the future of nil
1: i don't think the future of nil is capping earnings i don't think that really makes a whole lot of sense when you invite all these antitrust lawsuits into the picture i think that's a mess that they really do not want to get into now Where it gets interesting is is from from an enforcement standpoint, could we see perhaps FBS break away from the NCAA and then have somebody else that actually is able to follow these rules and and say, okay, here's what NIL is, here's what it isn't. This is pay-for-play, this isn't. Can we get to a place where that happens? I think that's possible, and I think it's, it's going to be needed. Otherwise, I think we're going to see this thing continue to get pretty crazy with the recruiting process. I don't really care about necessarily saying, like, here's what a player should make, here's what they shouldn't make, because I think there's going to be some market correction, and that's the thing that's not really being talked about enough, is that there have been some bad investments in this first year in which there weren't really those regulations, and I think there are some some benefits to having a capitalist economy in which you know usually water is going to find its level, and those business owners don't want to make those same bad investments. So I think that'll be part of it, but I don't necessarily think that we're about to see all these – you know, a salary cap or anything like that. I think the future is just going to be breaking away from the NCAA and having somebody else trying to enforce what exactly NIL is. Connor, let's stick with talking about the future of college football and bring it back to the SEC a little bit. Scheduling has been a big topic of conversation lately. Is there something you'd like to see, something, whether it's crazy or something, uh, a preference of yours of how the SEC does scheduling, whether now or when Texas and Oklahoma get here? I want the seven-one model. Yeah, uh, that, that's what I've been banging the drum for. And uh, I, I saw Ross Dellinger's report that the SEC is down to either the, the seven-one model or the, the six and three with the three uh, rotating home and homes. And look, I, I'm I understand. You know, it, it would be a bummer not to have you know an Auburn, Georgia, or an LSU, Alabama on an annual basis. But I, I think it's just absolutely absurd the way that the, the current. Schedule sets up. I mean, think about this: Georgia is not going to play in College Station against Texas A&M until 2024. Like, they still haven't done that yet. What's the point of being in the same conference if that's the reality of of like of, of really like you know two teams that are supposed to be? you know, yearly contenders. So for me, I think that's why I'd like to see the 7-1 model. I think if you go to the 6-3, you expose yourself to the nine-game conference schedule, which the SEC has avoided for a really, really long time, all just because you want to keep these rivalries in place when you're still going to actually get to play those rivalries in the 7-1 model. It just won't be on an annual basis. So, yeah, I'd be all in favor of that. and I'm fascinated to see the way this plays out once Texas and Oklahoma join the conference.
0: Let's shift our conversation here more locally to our backyard, Connor, and obviously the work that you do is great with uh, Saturday Down South. He's on Twitter, at C.J. O'Gara. Be sure to check him out there. How are you feeling about the Auburn Tigers as they get set to go into year two of the Brian Harsin era? Uh,
1: Not great, Bob. Not great. (laughs) Um, Look, I'll I'll be honest. Uh, There are elements of this team that that are really intriguing, I love the backfield. I love the idea of Tank and Hunter kind of being this great one-two punch. Uh, The idea of Robbie Ashford being used in this football player-type role where he could maybe do a bunch of different things if he isn't the starting quarterback for Auburn. I talked about that the other day with Cole Kublik, and that's a subject that really interests me. Um, I think they got some nice pieces. You know, a linebacker, and I always feel like Auburn just cranks out solid defensive backs, so I'm not really worried about that. But, man... I can't envision a scenario in which this team goes like 9-3 and with T.J. Finley or Zach Calzada as the starting quarterback. I just can't. And to me, if I'm Brian Harson, that's what I'm telling myself, that I need to be able to keep my job. I don't care how many statements the university comes out with. I don't care how many standing ovations I get at basketball games. I'm telling myself... I have a job on the line, and I need to be able to get a top 15 season. Otherwise, that job will absolutely be in jeopardy. So, for me, I look at those elements, and I just kind of scratch my head. I worry about all those defensive linemen that they lost to the transfer portal. I think the number was up to, what, like seven or something like that. I mean, it just feels like this team has a lot of holes. And the SEC West, man, having those holes, uh, that's not exactly good news, especially when it looks like there are so many teams in this conference that are going to be that are going to be getting better this year.
0: Connor, compared to uh, 2021, 2022 was relatively quiet when it came to changes in head coaches around the conference. Only two coaches uh, were hired in Billy Napier and uh, Brian Kelly at LSU. Which of those two coaches do you think has the be- bigger year in year one?
1: I think Brian Kelly is the bigger year one, but I-, I won't be surprised at all. This, this is going to sound like hedging. I won't be surprised at all. If we look back on this hiring cycle and say, that not just in the SEC, but in all of college football with all these flashy hires, that Billy Napier ended up being the best hire. And Here's what I mean by that. I think Brian Kelly is is built to be able to have a little bit more of that year one success from a roster standpoint. They did some really good things in the transfer portal, and I think they inherited a little bit more talent. Billy Napier was talking about, man, and he basically said before the end of, of spring ball, we need players. We need to go into the portal. We need to get some players, because we can't even scrimmage right now, because the, the depth is a major issue with what they're dealing with. I have very low expectations for their defense this year. I'm really intrigued by Anthony Richardson. But, you know, I I look at the situation at LSU, and I think that rebuilding a roster at a place like LSU is a little bit different. And I think that they're going to be able to do some things in year one, whether it's Jaden Daniels or Miles Brennan as a starting quarterback, maybe even Garrett Nussmeyer. And I think that with the skill, position, talent that they have, they're going to be able to at least win one of those games that they shouldn't. Maybe it's seven, eight wins, something like that whereas Florida, I think it's going to have a little bit of a tougher time against that that quality competition. But, yeah, I'm optimistic about both. I thought both that were tremendous hires, and it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if either of them ended up winning a national championship.
0: Connor O'Gara from Saturday down south here with us on this Thursday edition of Sports Call. We saw recently you did a story doing one bold prediction for every SEC defense. And I know we talked a moment ago about the Auburn Tigers going into the second year of Coach Harson, a defense that lost Uh, defensive coordinator Derek Mason. Harson's now got his coordinators there on staff. But uh, tell us about the defensive unit and what you're expecting out of Auburn there in 2022.
1: Yeah, I I just worry about that, that run defense. I mean, the, the it's not so much like you can have you know you can have a, a couple of guys here and there that you feel like could be all FCC caliber, but you got to have depth. You have to have depth in this league, and if you don't have depth on the defensive line, you're going to be in you're going to be in some trouble. And with all of those guys entering the transfer portal, I mean, I thought it was a really big bummer that JJ Pegues ended up going to the transfer portal. I know he was somebody that had moved around a bit during his first few years at Auburn, but. I think this run defense is going to be in some rough shape, and that's that's what I worry about. Over the course of the game, does it end up looking like man, they just can't stop anyone because there are so many good offensive lines, so many good backfields in this conference that I think there's a possibility in which Auburn could allow 200 rushing yards a the game. And we're kind of looking up, going, man, they can't even get off the field. This is just a really tough watch in the post Derek Mason era, and I kind of fear what this could look like you know, in a post-Zacoby-McLean world and seeing kind of what exactly that looks like for them. So I'm not optimistic at all about what they're going to be able to do on defense, especially with all the quality competition they're going to face
0: and then let's switch it over to the offensive side of the ball and again this is bold predictions that you had for the league within the sec and auburn obviously our focal point here and go check out his work again on twitter at cj o'gara but to auburn talking about robbie ashford possibly being qb1 for the tigers by halloween the hoover kid that transfers uh from oregon now playing for the auburn tigers what intrigues you most about him
1: I can't tell if it's more of intrigue in Robbie Ashford or just wanting to talk myself into non TJ Finley, non Zach Calzada options, or <laughs> probably a little bit of both. Um, and, and like, no disrespect to those kids, but I, I, I just think that Robbie Ashford, the unknown of that is almost more intriguing at this point. And i kind of wonder about the way that the schedule plays off with a pretty favorable start to the schedule all things considered i've seen that the idea thrown out there that it's, it's not crazy to think that auburn could be undefeated going into that game against georgia maybe college game days in the house i can close my eyes and picture kirk Herbstreit saying good for auburn for sticking with brian Harson. <laughs> this is what this yields and being like well we're probably overlooking how difficult the latter half of the schedule is but Nonetheless, I think that there's a chance Robbie Ashford ends up being a guy by late October. You start to see that sense of urgency from Brian Harson. I don't know that he's gonna be willing to make him the day one starter. And look, I get part of it. He's somebody who hasn't taken a snap yet at the FBS level. Though know, he was with my guy Joe Moorhead for the last couple of years at Oregon, so he's probably just, you know, waiting to be able to explode once he gets that playing time. So I think we, we end up we'll end up seeing Robbie Ashford this year because I don't ultimately have a lot of confidence in TJ Finley, in Zach Calzada, based on the sample size that we've seen them play against the SEC competition,
0: this was not where I thought the conversation was going to go at some point. But I got to take advantage of a moment. You saying my guy Joe Moorhead and Connor also knowing that I've got someone in our studio here with a master's degree <laughs> from Akron University. I need to know what year one for Joe Moorhead and the Zips is going to look like in your mind.
1: Ah, uh, brutal, brutal, absolutely brutal. <laughs> <laughs> Um, It's not going to be great. It's not. Um, My guy, Joe, needs some time. He does. He needed more time at Mississippi State. He's going to need more time at Akron. I talked to him a few months ago. Um, I I had him on the Saturday Down South podcast. He was actually dealing with COVID at the time. Um, So he was just basically recruiting nonstop. He was locked in. He was in the zone. That's what he does. But I, I, I still think I, I will not sell my Joe Moorhead stock. I think he's such a tremendous offensive mind. I think if you take him away from those Penn State teams in 2016 and 2017, it's just a much different story. I watched the way that they just exploded, and especially Trace McSorley was somebody who became a star in college football, I thought as a result of the Joe Moorhead offense. So, look, year one in Akron, um, it, it it's not going to be great. It's not going to be great. I did, I think, talk him into being – the two-point conversion guy. I think he's going to go for every single yeah. two-point conversion, and that's going to be his new brand. In this era of analytics, I think we're getting more and more in that direction. So, look, better times are ahead. I think my guy is going to need at least two, three years there to make Akron feel like it's worthy of watching in action, but I, I think the future is bright.
0: Connor, as the aforementioned recent uh, Zip graduate Uh, It was all remote. I've never set
1: one foot on the campus of the University of Akron, uh, but you have now provided me the ability to whenever I want to join the bandwagon. I now will have some uh, talking points. But plenty of room, man. There, there is there's plenty of room on this Moorhead bandwagon. (laughs) Everybody got off. Look. I've been on the Moorhead bandwagon for, for a long time. The first time I ever went on the Paul Feinbaum show, I said, my guy, Joe Moorhead in year one at Mississippi State is going to win 10 games in the regular season. Paul still jokes about it to this day. He's <laughs> like He still gives me crap about it. It, it. it was something I had to live down. They should have probably won 10 games that first year he was there going into 2018. couple of bad bounces, eight regular season wins, but that's neither here nor there. I'm a believer in Joe. It's just going to take a little bit of time. He's got a lot of He's got a roster to overhaul. I mean, Auburn Auburn saw it last year. Like, Akron was 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 pretty sorry. I mean, Joe's going to need he's going to need some time to get his system in there, and then they'll be just fine.
0: Connor, we have greatly enjoyed this visit. It's been a whole lot of fun chatting with you, and we're not going to make this uh, your one and only stop here on Sports Call. We look forward to doing this again soon. Looking forward to having you on the show in person at SEC Media Days. You mentioned the Saturday Down South podcast a moment ago. I'd like you to promote that. Tell me about a couple of more recent uh, episodes that you've had or maybe previously some coming out soon
1: yeah we i appreciate that we could we definitely make that happen um yeah saturday down south podcast we're we're doing one a week for like up until media days but we usually are two two times a week podcast and we've had uh we had ari Wasserman, uh the athletic on this past week we've had we've had some really solid guests lately keith marshall came on the show former georgia tailback rj young brett mcmurphy came on adam brenneman who's doing some great work Um, in the sports media world, former coach, former Penn State tight end um, as well. So, yeah, we've had a lot of different people on. It's been a lot of fun to be able to do that. We're going to continue to crank out good content throughout this offseason. You you guys know how it is right now.
0: Amen. Perfect. Well, we appreciate the time, Connor. We'll talk to you again soon, okay?
1: Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys. That's
0: Connor O'Gara, Saturday down south, joining us here on the program first conversation i promise you that won't be the last that was awesome didn't think we'd go into as big of a deep dive on joe moorhead and the akron zips but look you never know what to expect with this it it is talking talking season (laughs) (laughs) and that's my favorite part too austin you never have stepped foot in akron ohio in your entire life go zips go zips with a master's degree it's amazing let's take a break we're back with more sports call right after this
1: Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn.